0: Hello, and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we dive back into my homework of creating tables. Uh, both NPC name tables, enemy tables, and touch on the gods that control the world that I am building. And as a special treat, we also get to dive into the world that Jimmy has been building this entire series. Tables. I made tables. Tables. Like, I'm good about the furniture. Tables. Yeah, so three legs, one shorter than the other two. Um, there's holes like in the top. That's how you make a table, right? That's exactly what I thought when I saw it. Like, that's a table. This is yeah. You put one this finger in between looks, two other fingers, and bam, there's your table. It looks like modern uh, art. Like, okay. So it's it's um, so made well technically I made two tables. I was gonna say three. Well, we only made two tables. Made an enemy encounters table, which we're gonna get to later because I, that's my biggest reserved. And then we made an NPC encounter table, um, which. I, for one, am pretty happy about because I was trying to create names that had a very earthy nature-ish feel to it to kind of ring back into, uh, you know, how the machine is part of the ground and it's the thing that's actually running this planet or land or world or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I thought I came up with some pretty interesting names, maybe some memorable names, because you had mentioned about... Um, in the last episode about some names that were like with, with like hard consonants or um, they end in ST, like there's all of them just sort of have like that feel a feel. Yeah. 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 So that's, I was going for a very like nature. It kind of comes off a little bit of a, like a, a native American feel kind of to it, which okay. now I've is, you know, I guess that, that kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and, uh, I got to thinking of how great this would be in-game uh, of we're playing. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we need to find somebody who knows some information. Sure, there's somebody here. Roll a D10. Oh, I rolled eight. All right, so we're going to speak to – you see Amy Redstream. She's cleaning her clothes on the side uh, in, a, in a wash basin, a water basin. Okay. Um, she looks approachable. You know, just – I mean – just like like a little me. bit of flavor yeah that's cool man yeah that's really unique. so it was very uh, I, I got really into doing that so yeah i really um, like that table that's cool i'm starting to feel more about the names <laughs> you're starting to get it aren't you starting the way to that feel, it can ah, i'm not going really, crazy it I'm can define an
1: area though yeah
0: um but yeah so it exactly you know and uh and then i got to think it as like oh so these i was like these names these people would be from Like uh, like the more of the working regions like Westbridge or St. Locke's like these are the ones that are like, you know, like they're they're, you know, bred from the earth that they they sow and blah, blah, blah. Like they are in one in tune with what's going on in the land. And I was like, oh, shoot, I need to make another table for like the quote unquote noble names of the people who live in Bellspro who are all high and mighty with flair and you know, with trinkets on their, on their vests and stuff like that. And I was like, I need to make a whole separate entity and a whole separate table. And I was like, "Ah, I'll do that later. And then I never got around to doing it.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, it's something else on the horizon. So that's like your NPC encounter table. Yeah. um, When you feel like just throwing a random NPC there and just have a little role play fun. That's great. And do all, are you going to attach like um, little things to all these people like this, this person is a, like a wash girl and this person. Yeah,
0: so I was going to get give like little maybe, you know, one or two sitting descriptions, maybe some like interesting personality quirk um, to have them stick out a little bit more than they normally do, that kind of thing.
1: And you could always use the uh, d and 420 NPC generator to help you with that.
0: Oh, so I was searching. I think I came across that and I think I messed around with it a little bit um just to get like a general idea of um some interesting names but i don't know if i
1: oh no i mean i'm talking about the one i made the npc maker uh i don't know if i maybe i didn't send that to you i have dnd 420 worksheets um what i sent you today of the uh what i worked on over the past few weeks is an area worksheet that i just filled out there are campaign worksheets, I have deity worksheets, monster worksheets, NPC worksheet. And with that, the NPC generator worksheet does <clears throat> is you roll on tables and it'll give you... I'll just pull it up here. Right. Um, it can, You can roll for race, alignment, class, occupation, and traits. So there are 100 traits, 100 occupations... 20 class choices you know nine alignment choices and a dozen race choices i have one for um the one i'm looking at is the 3.5 one. i have one for 3.5 and i also have one that you probably don't have for fifth edition but i i I don't know if i sent you the 3.5 one
0: i don't know it doesn't ring a bell but that doesn't mean
1: anything Yeah, I can send those to you and you can take a look at those. Um, It's just something I made for when I have a list like this because I make um, lists of names. In fact, I'm looking at one right now for uh, my 5th edition game that we do on Monday nights and I have 60 names here that I came up with either from generators or um, random areas. Some of them are names I made. Some of them are names I just pulled like here's 20 from the generator and I have this handy for that game so and they're, they're all very um, uh, like we talked about very Roman sounding names yeah yeah and so if I want them to meet somebody I can look at this list pick a cool sounding name that's either male dominated or female dominated depending on the situation and right. then I'll be like alright guys give me just a second and I roll on my uh, random generator worksheet to give me an idea of who I'm going to be playing
0: oh okay I
1: use it as an exercise for me to get a chance to freeform roleplay and it's how I'm going to to develop this next piece of information. So I'll make that piece of information I want to give to them. I have no idea of the delivery system, just that I'm going to use a random NPC to do so. And then I pull up the most random NPC you can think of, give them the traits that I roll off my list, one or two traits, maybe three traits, that occupation, what they do daily, And there's a hundred there so that the the occupations, if I do this every couple of sessions, no two NPCs are going to be the same. Right. And it doesn't, I don't need to stick to my, um, my roles or anything, but as soon as something is forms in my head, as I'm rolling and picking things, because sometimes I roll for things and sometimes I'll pick certain things. Like I often am picking the alignment instead of rolling for it.
0: But, um, so explain that. Why, why is that?
1: Uh, because I want, I, I may want this person to uh, want to work with the party. So that's And that gonna... kind
0: of, I guess, and you're, I mean, I'm assuming you're doing that on a whim, depending on the situation that the players are walking into, correct? Like you want your, it's your way of maybe kind of controlling what the information is or what the outcome of the information is?
1: Well, sometimes a game can get away from you a little bit, where you let the players sandbox it up. Um, and we've talked about it in campaign building, um, where if they don't do what you want them to do and yet you don't want to put reins on them, you might move an entire city or an entire, um, stronghold from one city to another just to accommodate where the players are going. And that way the story can continue to, uh, to, uh, move forward. You know, you can move NPCs, you can move encounters, So if I just want a piece of information and I want it to be about a certain area, I might use the name generator or um, whatever that I've done for this one specific area to make that method of transmission completely random now. Like, well, I'm going to give them the piece of information because they need it, but I don't know how it's going to go yet because I didn't plan for any of this. They okay. They brought me here. And now I'm just kind of correcting the course so that we can continue to see some progress or some uh, progression in the story. Otherwise, if you just let the characters go wherever and you leave encounters where they're supposed to be, it may never happen. We've had a fun time wandering around the countryside fighting uh, Detrith. And not doing anything. That happens a lot. That happens in, in games all the time. Um, That's happened in more than one of my games. So The way I correct it is by doing this. Um, And it's not even correcting it so much as kind of, you know, just giving it a little nudge here and there. Um, So I I really love that you came up with this NPC encounter table because it really reminds me of that. And if you make something like this and um, you give them professions and personalities and things like that, it really makes your area come alive if they start seeing Marigold Dark Draft here and there and they come back to the city and meet her again and like maybe they come looking for her because she knew something before and now she's a contact it really enriches the game
0: and I think we've talked about that too where like an NPC kind of becomes a little bit more than what you were expecting like they end up being like an actual um, like major playing character and I feel like just having a little bit of this information to kind of go on basically can help make it feel more natural like oh yeah no this was the whole point all along like you were supposed to meet this npc they were supposed to give you this information and then they oh heck now they're going to come along with you because they have uh you know ambitions to do whatever or to to go on a quest or uh to find something or whatever
1: yeah but you know the whole point of um of having this this little list here is to so that when you're in freeform dming and you're doing your thing and you're just trying to let the players do what they want and you've created everything yourself you have that back pocket to go to that when you start role-playing it what you want it to feel like is that it was planned in spite of the fact that we have six things about this npc literally six words right you have a name We'll call that one word, a profession, an alignment, um, two or three traits, and maybe a quirk or something, or a a mode of dress or a color of hair. You know, just a few things that you can mention each time that make it sound familiar. And then when you start doing your little thing, I often, once I do, um, I'll often like expand upon that. Once I do a, uh, like an accent or something, I have little words that I use for my accents. Um, Like gravelly voice, deep voice, certain, you know, little words that I know what it means to do. Um, And I'll put that down so that I know that at least I may not do the exact same voice later, but if it's got certain qualities to it, then hopefully it'll, it'll like kind of snap the players back to that memory and it'll feel familiar.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, At least for me, with somebody who. It's more into the role-playing part of it than I mean. Again, you know, I enjoy dice rolling, but at the end of the day, I I enjoy role-playing above all else, and it is those characters that you remember the most. um, uh, And a lot of it just does because you know it's um, you know they're constantly you know talking about how bad the politics are or they're um, they have like an interesting voice or something like that. Like to me, those are the things that always stick with me. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Exactly. When you can put a name. To a couple of little quirks
1: or traits, to a voice, you've got a person.
0: Yeah,
1: so. and and everyone may not be picturing the exact same thing, but it doesn't matter if that if there's each person pictures the thing that feels familiar after they've met this person a couple of times. That's what feels great, right? You know, those little keywords, those little catches,
0: those little um, quirks. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, did that, and then I kind of did a little bit more diving into the certain gods. I stuck with the um, um, the forbidden realms gods, uh, just because I'm more familiar with those. Forgotten and I tried none, to find sir. gods that reflected um, the people that I w- the the NPCs I was creating within the world. Um, so I picked um, Shanti. It's uh, not or uh, neutral good. Uh, for more of like the harder working regions of St. Longst and Westbridge because she is more like of the earth and of nature and the prosperity that way Mm -hmm. and then uh, Timora is chaotic good and I picked that one for primarily Bells Pro uh, more of a trickster style god that um, values things over um, people um, loosely I guess kind of to show Um, the decadence of the city right yeah, that's um, cool. And I thought, you know, if there was ever any kind of like monument erected, like it would, to me, it would make more sense that uh, Timora would be erected in gold or something than, you know, um, any of the other ones that wouldn't be too. Cause I was trying to stay away from like any of like the, you know, the gods of war or tempest or anything like that. Like I was trying to stay away from all those, you know. Sure. I was trying to make the gods feel as quote unquote peaceful as possible. Um, So that, I don't know, like just rolling into town, be like, oh, well, these guys can't be all that bad. You know, they could be worshiping the God of Death. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. um,
1: Cool. Those are really fitting. um, Those are really fitting gods. Um, As soon as I saw both of them, I knew, I know who both of them are from the Forgotten Realms game. Yeah. Um, Especially Tamora. that's, That's, you know, old school. That takes me back, and I actually have based one of my gods on Tamora. Like, can you guess which one? Oh. <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, by the way, Eric's character worshipped this god in my game. It's very basically. true. <laughs> so that really cool stuff. Uh, and, you know, the th- other thing, I, I see your enemy encounters table, and I was really wanting to talk about that a little bit as well.
0: Yeah, so we can talk about that so this is where I was kind of struggling because I was like what am I doing like am I just assuming that like if there's supposed to be an enemy encounter I'll just roll and this is what it is um, and then they have to fight these things and it's just like a kind of like an XP grab is kind of what I felt like I was doing
1: okay well um, here's here's what I like to do and what I to um, I don't know if you have or have access to if you don't I'll make um, available access to my book Um. The Volo's Guide to Monsters is that what I'm looking Volo's at here? Guide yes,
0: the Monsters
1: and Volo's Guide to Monsters near the back of the book. Um, there is creatures by environment. I believe it's page 222. Yes, page 222. It's after the chal- creatures by challenge rating. Um, it'll give you a list of like Arctic creatures, coastal creatures, desert creatures, hill creatures, and you can kind of pick i like to go through these lists and find things that like i agree this stuff is in my world in addition to the things that like that are unique to my world okay and so i'll kind of mix those in so if i'm let's say we go to a city in my game um let's use here in uh the dragon's claw kyoden which i'm working on and we say it's elkyria and if we go there we see that it's coastal and that it's in a, a pine rainforest or, well, a pine, tropical pine forest. It's not a rainforest. The rainforest is across the street. But um, this tropical pine forest and this coastal region, right? So I can go into my book and I want to find those, the things that most represent that. We'll say forest creatures and there's got to be coastal, right? Yeah, coastal creatures and... There's a lot of grasslands around, and there's swamps nearby. I might look at those lists as well, okay. and start picking things that work. Um, so I want I want everything that could be encountered here. I want to talk about almost all of it, and I say almost because later on I may change my mind and take something out and add something in, or sure, or like come up with a new idea for this area and just go ahead and add it on. But you're going to come up with things, which you've done. So we got crabs, giant crabs, carrion beetles, oglodons, baboons, lions. Um, that's a great start. Um, and that might be all of one area, like a starting area, which is cool. So you'll make several of these for each one. You'll make something
0: like this for each city or each region. So that was going to be my other question, because like a lot of those are basically level one to level three encounters yeah that's that's
1: cool for like a level one to level three but if you look at grassland creatures we might have level one to level 10 on the list so we need to get a lot more stuff on there if if you're going to really like challenge creatures later on or challenge players later on or scare players early on which you want to do that as well sometimes you don't want everything to be achievable right um so like you see on like mountain creatures hell it's got storm giants on here so you may want to consider that that might not be anything that exists in your gaming world but you know these these tables like this where you see creatures by environment these lists are going to give you the easiest way of finding and making that list really unique to your area um, by using all the creatures that are available to you from the core books as well as the creatures you kind of have in mind um, and I like that you've included mostly like, um, things that define the area, right? Because you know, we got oglodons, crabs, and beetles and things like. Well, yeah, this makes sense because you're you're looking at what desert and stuff, right? So there are you could also choose if I look at desert creatures, straight up fire newt, guard drakes, lucrata yontes, spawn of Caius, warlock of the fiend necromancer priests maybe there's like you know maybe there's a cabal somewhere that you haven't fleshed out yet and the only reason we're using random tables is um you can plan every encounter and then every encounter they get into they're looking for things to like related to the story but i like every once in a while to throw random encounters out there in between Um, because i'll come up with maybe five to ten encounters for that are big. Big encounters. There's going to be a big fight. But there might be, in between all those, another 10 to 15 encounters that just really define the area. Right. Remember, this is just another way to help define your area through combat now. If we do it in every level of the game, when you come here, like, oh, this is that damn place where we always come across those stupid Yonties. Right. Because that's the only place you made them exist in your world. And they know it because as soon as they start hearing that that voice you do for the people of this area or as soon as they see the certain colors that they know or as soon as they see certain types of horses or whatever else you've used to to, to define this area it all starts to make sense and then the monsters tie into that as well
0: that makes sense because um, like you were just saying like again it all ties back into your world and building the world and fleshing it out and making it feel lived in and real
1: yeah, yeah. And so it's just to remind you as a DM, they don't have to be random encounters. Um, you can I give every list I make like this a way to roll dice to do it so I can make it random. But I mostly right. use this list to pick and choose what I want there to be. Like, well, it's not going to be any fun if I roll fire newts again. Right. Okay. even though they're a high probability we've only fought Fire Newts now it's time to get that Yanti out there it's time to get that Warlock of the Fiend out there Um, whatever else you have on that list that you haven't necessarily defined but it exists you don't have to write everything for it just that it's there sometimes and then when they encounter it and run away you know now you have to write about it and it's prompted you as a DM to flesh the area out more when they come across these things they're really great to help spark your ideas remind you what your original vision was in the first place and keep you on track that's
0: good yeah that's um believe it or not there's more work to do
1: (laughs) (laughs) you'll be working on this thing if you really want to play in this world you'll be working on this thing as long as you play in it
0: yeah that's
1: true You'll find little things you want to do. You'll add things here and there. You'll change up your monster list because you'll be like, I didn't get it at first. And, you know, I was just copying off of what Jimmy did or what the book did. And then then I really realized my world's different than that in this way. And then you can start putting those things all together in the way that fits best for you. Right. Because I can just give you like maybe this list is perfect for what you're doing maybe you have one that's the next list is like levels three to seven or four to seven then the next lists are like eight to twelve or something and that's how you do your areas um yeah but um i i i often and i see the way you, you've done this and having like crabs or crabs time three right yeah, was there, yeah that was the other thing cause i was
0: like what do i do with like, yeah, this would be more of a difficult encounter because now there's three of them instead of one. Or, and, well, whatever. here's
1: this can be a good idea to do it this way and a bad idea. in that when I roll for crabs, oh, that sounds hilarious.
0: Roll for crabs, Jim. Oh, God. It just, oh no, I much. just ended up with herpes. Can you believe it?
1: Oh, had a crab. That's like zero to 60 real fast, dude.
0: Oh, yeah. No?
1: <laughs> That's funny. So, the, the only reason I'll say that this, I, your heart's in the right place, but the reason this is bad is because when I roll and get crabs, oh, it never works. When I roll and <laughs> the result of the die is crabs, no crabs, I'm going to decide how many crabs based on the difficulty that I want to throw at my party at that time. So, yeah, that was going to be my other question, which so, was, yeah. And, yeah, you can make it to where, like, in, often in books, especially in older editions, it's like... Ah, oh, you come across goblins, 2d6 goblins. Right. Um just, you know, and that's all cool and well, but is this really a board game or do you want this fight to have meaning of some sort? Um I like varying degrees, so off like random can be okay and it can you it can often work out well, but if it's time to challenge the party and I roll crab, I'm gonna be like, "Oh, okay. Well, they're level four, and I roll crab, so I'm just gonna bump up into the giant crab department, and do two of them." Okay. That now makes the sense. now the encounter. Um, so you could even put like, um, for a roll of one and make it one d six. Like this could be crab, two d three crabs. Or giant crabs, or two d three giant, or one d three giant crabs, or something, right? You know, and then you can scale it that way, or you can make separate lists. Uh, there's lots of way to, ways to do these type of random encounter tables that make sense. None of them are perfect. None right. of them are great. Again, most of the time you're just going to look at the list and be like, "This actually fits where they are. They're near the water right now. It doesn't make sense that." To find Oglodons this near the city, so I'm going to go with crabs. That makes sense. So, um, but again, like I said, your heart's in the right place, and you really did a nice job um, being, you know, keeping it tailored to your game. The name list is really great. I'm glad you came up with the gods because that helps add color. That gives players something to read about, that helps define what you've written about the world, and they're going to be able to connect that to it. Really man. good stuff. Really good stuff, man.
0: Cool. Well, thank you. Well, let's talk about what you've been doing.
1: I have been doing a lot over the past, I'd say, six weeks or so. Five or six weeks. Um, the map is already up. That's the Dragon's Claw, that, which is comprised of three different nations. Um, Kyoden, Irunax, and Varindor. Kyoden is what the one I've got the most work done on. This is an island nation comprised of almost half humans, and then there's mixed races, mostly Kenku, Kitsune, and Tabaxi. Kitsune is a, uh, a race, a fox person race, that um, I fell in love with. I play Magic the Gathering, or I used to a lot, and there was a race called Kitsune that's a fox person that's based on Japanese legends, loosely, um, that I really loved the lore and the look, so I brought them into DD a while ago, and when 5th edition came, it felt like they fit right in. So I wanted a place to be able to um, debut the Kitsune as I move into the new era of my game world, the 5th edition um, era, where we have a lot more races, it's a lot more fantastic with uh, the Kenku, which are bird people, the Tabaxi are cat people, and now the Kitsune as well. And it gives it kind of a a very... um, I'm hoping a very far eastern feel, especially kind of with the nameology I went with. Yeah. So um, I think so. Yeah, Kyoden, ruled by High Lord Kobe Shijin, primary advisor, Lord Genshu Horobi, the law enforcement is called the Chikai, which are monks with elemental powers, very basic description. The military is called the Bakufu, which is comprised of the shogunate, taken directly from, you know, Far Eastern lore, and the Kaigunet, which is like the naval version. And so those are samurai that have wizards as their as their leaders. Um, quite a deadly military. So Kyoden, if you look at the map, I tried to make the description really match the map and give you um, that secondary kind of sensory input when you see the map and you read the description that should go together. With its gentle rolling hills, lush pine and banyan forest, and beautiful shores, Kyoden is nothing short of a paradise. The westmost islands of the Dragon's Claw are home to this peace-loving society comprised of many different humanoid races. Again, just kind of reiterating... They've lived here for 1,000 years. It's actually a little over 1,000 years, having migrated to the archipelago from Leal over 800 miles away just before the Great Floods. Um, in my game, there is a, a great, like tragic event that happens about every 1,000 years, and it's the world breathing. This is the third documented with uh, the Great Cataclysm. This is the third documented event. So the first one was the earthquakes, the second one was the great flood and then this one now is the um, the great cataclysm where this guy fell and many people were shoved together so in the flood um, a lot was lost you know there were complete um, complete areas wiped off the map during the first overhaul of my game world where I said everything that happened before now was pre-flood and then right. went when third edition came out, we started after the great flood and that's when Amistopia came in. And, um, there were several maps of the area because there was a pre flood history and post flood history, just like now with the cataclysm. Um, so the people came here because they knew there was going to be a big change and they thought there was something else, but that's a whole different story that I don't want to get into right now. I can talk about that for an hour. (laughs) So the, this, the political hierarchy here is a feudal system of comprised of lords and nobles, basically landowners. Right. Every year a new high lord is selected from one of the scores of clan of lords of those clans influential enough to be part of the Psycho Kai. And I Im- intentionally wanted to sound kind of like psycho. Um, right, yeah. The Psycho Kai is translated as the Great Can- Council. Um The many clans of Kyoden are constantly shifting power and size through political influence and commerce. One year, you may have 70, 80, or maybe even more lords serving on the Seikokai. Um, Another year, if there's famine, drought, and war, there may only be 40 members, or if there just isn't as much money to go around, if they've had a bad harvest or crop, many families may fall by the wayside. Um, But the one thing that is true any member of the psychokai is truly the elite, the rich, and the powerful. Um, that's just my description, of course. The flora sure. and fauna I based very much. I've, I've watched a lot of uh, documentaries about archipelagos, island nations, Japan, um, uh, the Keys. Oh, uh, I mean, I read. If it's an island, Hawaii, uh, the Pacific Rim. If it's if it's an island or a set of islands I watched or read about them <laughs> to come up with the flora and fauna here and I just took the things I like and, and placed it here. <clears throat> yeah. And it all very much makes sense and I speckle in things like, um, so in Kyoden there's a lot of fish that there's, you know, it's surrounded by seas and a great um strait in between the island, the main island of Kyoden and the mainland of the Dragon's Claw, which is where um what the hell is it called? Uh, Verandor is located. Okay. Um, so completely surrounded by water, so it goes deeply into what type of fish, reef sharks, rasa fish, dolphins, manta rays, sea turtles. Um, on the southern shore of Kyodrin, there's a large tropical pine forest. There are crabs, prawn, water hens, arrow hawks herons, turns, and robins, and I just casually throw arrowhawks in there, even <laughs> that's straight out of the monster manual, y'all, um, but it sounds at home, and it sounds like it belongs here. I wanted to just kind of speckle it in. It isn't until north of the pine forest that you can find mammalian life. It's like foxes, hares, wild boar, macaques, many species of great cats, the furthest northern islands of Kyoden, and I just put this here as a disclaimer resemble Irinax's habitat more civil so when I when you read about Irinax you can just kind of transpose that wildlife into the furthest northern islands of Kyoden because they very much the same climate flora and fauna right fishing farming hardwood are the commodities it talks about who their trade partners are and I throw a little lore in about the katana very much similar to Japan katana is highly sought after but swordsmiths are hesitant to make or sell them for outsiders Um, talk about the gods and deities most of the people here worship um, the natural elements fire earth air water uh, and void but you don't find so many chapels and altars dedicated to void that's more so feared and respected um, as a more of a destroying force destructive force and Then I talk about the law enforcement and the military, which we talked about the Chikai, the Bakufu. I go into a little more depth there about uh, the Shogunate and the Kaiganate and how they work together. They're made of skilled warriors that hold honor sacred. Um, Talk about a few different cities, and I give just a little. I do something different for each city to make them um, kind of stand out. So, like for instance, Monogu and Jijung are separated by the twin mountains sharing the namesake with sister cities. Um, and they're the fishing and farming area, right in the center of the island. But they have those mountains nearby that kind of Mount Monogu and Mount Jijung to give them kind of a a flare. But then you see them on the map and they must not be very big mountains because they look like pointed hills. Right. (laughs) But I you know, that was intentional as I was making the map. They're not really mountains here. Not like on the mainland. Um, I talk about the characters that I mention and the uh, the stats at the top. And that's the, the High Lord and the Lord, and how that the types of people that they are. And I go into a little unique lore, um, which is some of the stuff that I really like. Jaboto is a game played by school children in which participants use something similar to a Ouija board to summon a spirit from the Shadow Fell to answer their questions. The children never know which spirit they will get the tricky fox the protective hound or the mischievous raccoon um the raccoon thing may change but that's directly from japanese lore with different names and a different way of doing it um same thing with the kune kune that's something i took from japanese lore it's a spirit that's vaguely resembling the slender man, which is like this slender white. I don't know if you know about
0: I'm him. very familiar. I'm very familiar with slender man. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah.
1: Tall, pale, slender humanoid fear yeah. figure hard to talk about its features. Cause it can drive you crazy. Just trying to picture him. Um, when you see him, you can't hardly visualize it. Usually seen out in the rice fields, uh, almost always moving nonstop, making him quite eerie and like non-human. Those who try to get a closer look may, Look, make lose their minds. It is said that is one one is never quite the same after they catch a glimpse of the kune kune. Yep. Um, so you know, I took something from actual lore, put it into the D game as connected to this area. It's something like you said. You're very familiar. Yeah. You know, and Nathan is somebody who would probably be very familiar with Slender Man, as a lot of our listeners may be as well. Um, but we tied it to a place, and this is where they talk about that and this is where people, you may even hear people talk about it, and you can decide as a DM if you want this to be a creature or a thing or a person or some or some anomaly that happens in your game. What does this mean? When players read it, they're going to love it. They're going to love that it's there. Some may think it's cheesy because they know what Man is, and others may be intrigued, like you. Like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah. Um, but it's here, and as a DM you have this tool in your shed to help these type of lore these these type of like ancient beliefs Um, I go further on to talk about seasonal festivals honoring the elements are common throughout the out the nation each area city town or race celebrating spirituality each in their own unique ways just to kind of say hey look people like to celebrate Um, put your spin on it but know that that is happening here a lot these seasonal you know of course fall is going to be about the harvest and um, winter might be more about void or stone and um, spring might be more about air you know each one having their own unique feel in every region so that every time a player comes across a different type of event you don't even have to remember what you've done in this land before because they've read that they're going to be always different so gave myself a little flexibility there That's that's
0: good too, because of the, even with the, the, um, the commonality to it too. I mean, that's, you're not giving away what's going on, but, um, you give the player an idea of like, obviously this is a some serious shit. We need to proceed with caution sort of situation. Exactly. Um,
1: you know, I wanted to touch on a lot of things, but at the same time you can read, I can hand this to a player and be like, this is where we're playing. You can read it in five minutes. Right. Something here I'm hoping will pique your interest. It's all important, you know, but each game it might only be that certain aspects of what I've written here ever come to light in any given game. But now this area is and I've I've worked on my monster list. I'm not happy with it at all. Um sometimes I start to feel like I've overused things, so Sure. You're not going to get that list today.
0: <laughs> I got you. <coughs> But,
1: you know, I've worked on the other two areas, Irinax and Verindor. Um, got a lot of stuff done with them as well. Uh, but I'm about halfway there. So the next couple of days we'll get that posted up with this for everybody to pick apart, look at, make fun of, tell me how I screwed it all up or tell sure. me that I've done an,
0: <laughs> a passable job or not. Um, but And then I'm also going to take everything that we've done with the world that I've created and do a very similar package so that, you know, we could throw it all together. And if somebody does want to play with it, like all a a lot of the information is there for you to kind of hop in and start building a campaign.
1: Yeah. You can take a look at it. And if you look at um, all of the things that we've talked about this season, you can look at my work and see it in the work. Right. Um, And hopefully that comes across Uh, same thing with your stuff. Hopefully that comes across as you're listening and you get these cool ideas well, I think it's cool. Uh, you, everybody here, may think that this is trite, but um, you know, you got you have an example of how that was done and how it might look being presented. And if you're at all any kind of a writer, it's going to be better than what I've done. So, but the uh, the I, I, this is a tried and true method I've used for years um, and developed over years, and you know, not perfected. I won't say that. This is certainly not perfect, but you get all the information you need in order to play a fun, many, many fun campaigns for years to come in an area you've created that you and your players can uh, define over the years together.
0: you yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, so obviously, uh, for those who are listening, if you haven't noticed, I've had a blast doing this. Um, this is something that I've always wanted to do. And I've created, quote unquote, worlds in my mind, but not to the 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 detail not to the the like the the dirt dirt to sky level that we've uh, gone through this entire world building series and i really hope that if you take anything away uh, from what we've done here today and in the previous episodes is the fact that you got to start somewhere like yes it seems like it's a huge amount of work that's because it is a huge amount of work but it's extremely satisfying and it's uh, and you get that sense of uh, gratitude once you really start diving in and feeling out this world as it comes to you. Uh, and you start building the map and you start breaking down all the regions and what the NPCs and all those little nuancey things. Um, but yeah, if this series has done anything for you, it's to, if you have an idea or an urge to want to start world building, the time to do it is now. And a few takeaways there are a few, I wanted to make some bullet points to finish up with.
1: You can start playing with your players at any time. It doesn't matter how much or how little. There are ways to get there, whether it's the plagiarism method where you just steal things and put it in. You can always change stuff later. If you haven't, your players haven't been there, it doesn't exist to them. You can hack things completely off if you don't like it anymore. Start over, but continue to work on it as you play. It, you may find that playing with your group helps inspire you. I know I do. With getting backstories from my players, that helps flesh my my world out in ways I would have never imagined when I sat down and started writing. And I'm hoping that people can read the blurbs that I've written about my world, and that will inspire them to write these great backstories as well, so that it's a reciprocal thing that we're doing together, and it always turns out better that way. Another thing, take as much of this as you want. You don't have to do all these things. These are all just things that I like to do. Um, And there can be so much more. Once you start expanding upon things, you can get as deep as you want to. Like we talked about in earlier episodes, renaming directions because they don't make sense. Because stars, our directions are named after stars in the sky. So, you know, there's, there's a ton you can do. Take the things that are important to your game and work more on those things, whatever they may be. Steal maps, draw your own maps, it doesn't matter. You may not even show maps to players. You may just show representations. That's not all important as long as you as a DM can define where those things are and can stay consistent. That's what I think, if you have to have a map, that's the reason to stay consistent with your players so it doesn't seem shaky or shoddy when one day it takes them, and I recently did this, one day it takes them uh, two days to sail from one side of the continent to the other, another day it takes them five days to make the same trip for no no explainable reason.
0: Right, it was just a thing, yeah.
1: It's just, I screwed up. But, you know, you want to make sure that those things are common, that they know how much time they have when they're traveling or what it takes to get there so you're all on the same page. That builds trust in your game. That'll build trust in you and your world building from a player's perspective. Um, so do with it what you will, um, but have fun with it and be malleable. That's the third thing. It kind of links to the second with the players helping. Be malleable with yourself. be I know we're all our own worst critic, but like, forgive yourself for writing cheesy shit and just know that if you have a cool idea in your head and then you put it on paper and it seems cheesy or wrong or whatever if that idea is cool in your head stick to it present it to your players let them tell you whether it's cool or not you know and if they start giving you feedback about it that that they are inspired that means they're liking it and they're wanting to build on it and the things that they do will be cool it will it'll come together just don't get too complex don't write too much i don't think we have I think we've written, you know, a couple of pages about each area. And by the end of the day, you might have a dozen or so pages. And I think that would be um, very acceptable and really nice to have. Um, I know people that have written two and three and four, or five, six hundred page. Don't do all that unless it's for yourself or unless you think you're going to publish it. If you're that good of a writer, you know, let me know, man. I'll help push with you.
0: Yeah or, a a, <laughs> yeah, or write a book.
1: write a book, yeah. But yeah. that's the thing. Don't force it on your players. Let them build with you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at d 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show... You can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.